Good morning. Happy uh, July. It's July, if you didn't know. <laughs> now you know. Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is David Soren. I am the uh, lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Uh, a few years ago, there was a, a man named Jack who was uh, walking out in uh, Arizona, and he was kind of by the edge of a cliff, and he, he slipped, and he fell off the cliff. And on the way down, he was able to grab a, a branch, and he thought, oh, what am I going to do? such a long way up. There's no way I can climb back up. And he looks down, and it's like a, a thousand-foot drop-off down the canyon. So the only thing you can think of is, is just thinks, I just got to start yelling. You know, maybe somebody could come with a rope or something. And so he just starts screaming for help. You know, help, help, help. Nobody's coming. He's about to give up. His grip is about to let go. And finally, he hears a voice. and says, Jack? Jack, is, is that you down there? Yes, yes, it's me. Can you, can you help me? The voice says, yeah, sure, no, no problem. I, I can help you. Are you all right? He says, yeah, I'm all right. And Jack yells back up. He doesn't see anybody. And he says, who, who are you? Where are you? And the voice says, Jack, it's, it's me, God. I can, I can help you. Jack says, that's great. That's so wonderful. Just, just tell me what to do. I mean, I'll do anything. I'll serve you the rest of my life. You know, you start making promises, right? Just, t- just tell me what to do. And, and God says, Jack, all you, all you need to do is just let go. Just let go of the branch. Trust me. Just trust me. i got a plan. I know it seems crazy, but if you let go, I promise I will save you. Jack says, let, let, let go? He's like, just, yeah, just, just let go. I promise I'll work it out. I know it seems crazy. It won't, I know it, won't, it doesn't seem like it'll work, but just let go. And Jack is silent for a really long time until finally he just yells out again hell is anyone else up there that's <laughs> kind of an apt description sometimes when god is moving in your life and he's giving you some sort of direction and we just think yeah no thanks right and we move on to something else that's really what we're going to see in our scripture passage today as we continue in our lost and found series uh, on the gospel of Luke. Uh, we are now in chapter 5 as we're progressing through the book if you want to follow along. Uh, there's a Bible under every chair. We're going to be on page 835. Uh, or you can use the Renovation Church app. You just tap Bible and weekly verses. It's all there as well. And what we're going to see as we get into chapter 5 is Jesus is now, what we saw last week, his ministry is beginning. Now he's beginning the process of calling his 12 disciples as well. So this is Luke chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be right at verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is another name for the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, which was kind of his name before, uh, Peter's name, before Jesus changed it to Peter. Sometimes we call him Simon Peter. And asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. 
I'm a sinful man. When you get, when you get that up close with Jesus, right, you feel the disparity between your sinfulness and his holiness. He says, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partner, who would, they would also become disciples as well. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Okay, so to start off, we're told that Peter and his companions, they've been out fishing all night. They haven't caught anything. Right? Then presumably the next morning, Jesus is teaching the crowds. They're there listening. And then Jesus asked Peter to go out into deep water and let his nets down. Now keep in mind, Peter is a professional, professional fisherman. Right? He's not like those people in Minnesota who go fishing 15 times a summer and call themselves a professional, right? With their little tricky boat guide things, right? I can see my radar underwater. He's a professional fisherman. This is what he does every single day. It's how he makes a living. And he's able to say back to Jesus, um, yeah, see, the thing is, we've already been out all night. And I don't don't really know how to tell you this, but the, the, the fish aren't biting. Now, actually, before we move on, I don't want you to miss a truth that's in this verse. When you try and do it on your own, your efforts will come up empty. Right? How many of you are just stuck there right now? You've just been striving and striving and striving, and you're not getting anywhere. But in all honesty, if you were to assess your life, you've just been doing this on your own. You're fishing on your own. You're not asking God for his help. Now, Peter, of course, because he's a professional fisherman, he could have had a long list of reasons of why he could have just said no to Jesus' request, right? He knows, Peter, he knows the fish of the Sea of Galilee, right? He knows kind of when they're biting. He knows where they're biting. And I'm sure that with his experience, everything in his brain probably said, don't listen to the carpenter about fishing. And I want to tell you this morning that often... When we don't obey God, we don't obey him precisely because we think, just like Peter could have thought, we think we know better. I kind of like, why else would we disobey God? Right? We don't because we think that we know better. Let me give you a few examples. And, and some of these examples I, I maybe even will feel challenging today, but that's okay. We come to church in a sense to be challenged, not to just hear things we want to hear. Right, we know from Scripture that God wants us to meet together as believers, right, in, in house groups, uh, in church every week, right? The book of Hebrews says, don't give up the regular habit of meeting together. And yet, why is it that in America, the typical Christian probably attends church maybe 20 times a year now, instead of 50 or 52? What's happened in the last 5 to 10 years? I think for a lot of us, on those Sundays we don't come, we don't come because... Well, we know better, right? We say, ah, I know I should, I, I, I need to be there, but I think today it would just be better if I caught up on my sleep a little bit. Or I, I, I know better today because I think today it would just be better if I, my house is a disaster and the yard is a mess, if I just kind of caught up on things around the house. So we say, people say this a lot in the winter, like, ah, it would be better, but a few of us just have colds. And it would just be better if we kind of just got our health 
back together first. It's like we know what the Word of God says, but then we look at our own situation and we say, ah, but it would be better. Let me give you another tough example. Right? You, You maybe are familiar with the idea that Scripture speaks very plainly about your financial generosity. And that we're to be generous with our finances. We're to give back to God. The Bible talks about 10%, about tithing. And yet, the majority of American Christians do not tithe. And it's not because they've never heard about it before, right? It's not because, oh, I've, never, I've never heard that in my life, right? So how is it that there's a, a plain command in Scripture, and yet the majority of American Christians say, yeah, I'm not going to do that? It's because we say, well, I know in my situation, I know better. I mean, how else could we disobey? We say, I know better. We, I just, right now in my life, I just need to take care of, of myself first, of our bills first, of a particular financial need first. Or say, I know better because my situation right now is actually quite difficult. It's significantly difficult than that person maybe two rows in front of me right now. And so I just need to take care of that. And yeah, I just want to tell you, again, maybe this is a hard word, but the, the, how much difficulty you're, you're facing isn't a prerequisite, isn't a, an excuse for getting out of being faithful to God's word, right? Does that somehow, does difficulty somehow uh, remove the responsibility of being financially generous for all of our brothers and sisters in Christ in Rwanda? Right, what about my brothers and sisters in Christ in Haiti? who are incredibly poor, and they tithe, and they give back to God. Are they not supposed to just because their situation is difficult? Uh, what about the, the old widow in the Gospels who just puts in her two coins when Jesus says she basically has nothing? Was she not supposed to just because her situation was difficult? See, we take these commands and we say, yeah, I don't need to because I know better in my situation. But behind every act of disobedience is this idea of, I'm not going to obey because I know better. But here's the thing that we just have to brand into our minds. We never, ever know better than God. Ever. It's impossible. And yet one of the things, you know, I've been a a pastor now for 13, 14, a couple 13, 14 years and uh, which is actually true, and one of the things that's difficult for me is watching Christians, even people in this church, who just blatantly disobey God. I'm not talking about just sinning. We all sin. I'm a ridiculous sinner. I'm not talking about you sin and you cry out to God. Why do I keep doing this? And repenting. I'm talking about when you know, you know what the Word of God says about marriage or about sex, or about getting drunk, or about what you watch with your eyes, or about being grateful and not complaining. When we know what the Word of God says, and yet we say, "Mm, yeah, but for my particular situation, it's different. And so I don't have to obey that. And we do this all the time as American Christians. And I think we do this because the world and our culture is just sort of beat into this idea of only you know what's best for you. Right? You know your situation. You know your life. You know what's best for you. And I just want to tell you that is a lie. That is a lie. God knows what's best for you. 
not you. And so any time in our lives that we say, I know that God's word says for me to do this, but for me, see, I can't because it's different. Anytime we do that, it is rebellion against God. Right? Don't try and reclassify it any other way. It's rebellion because it's like saying, mm, God, actually, I ought to be sitting on your throne. Because I think that I could call the shots for my particular life a little bit better. And anytime in your life you're saying, I ought to be sitting on your throne, that ought to cause you to shake in your boots a little bit. And yet, as hard as this word maybe is, know that still, even for those of us that would say, God, I know your word, and I'm not going to obey it, even for that, God would give us grace. Isn't Jesus Christ amazing? The fact that you and I could look at the Father and say, excuse me, get off your throne. I think I can call the shots for my particular situation. That he would look at that and still come and die on the cross for us. Come on. That's just grace. But we need to live for him. I just think too many of us are not truly living as if he's our Lord as if he's our master. Look at verse five in our passage. What does Peter call? How does he address Jesus? He says, master. We've been out all night. Master, he calls him. And he's right to do so because the moment that you give your life to Christ, what you're doing is you're turning all of your life over to Jesus. But you're committing to trusting him in everything. You're not gonna do it perfectly because you're a sinner, But this is the deal you make. The deal you make when you become a Christian is 2 Corinthians 5.15. Look at this. It says, And he, Jesus, died for all, that those who live... So this is you. This is the deal you're making if you become a Christian. Those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And yet, in your life right now, if you're saying, Jesus, I know you gave all of you but I'm really only interested in giving part of me, then I wonder if you've ever actually surrendered your life to Christ. See, if you're living a surrendered life, your desire, not your, you're not going to be perfect at this, but the desire of your heart ought to look more like Peter's response. So look again at verse 5. I'll put it on the screen for you. It says, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. You haven't caught anything. But because you say so, because you say so, I'll let down the nets. That's how you live as a Christ follower. Because you say so. You say, God, what you're putting on my heart right now doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But because you say so, I'll let go of that branch. I'll, I'll let down my nets. Like, where is this not happening in your life right now? Where are you just falling into sin because you've just decided, no, I think that this would be better for me. It's not. Or where, where are you not listening to God's call on your life and he's just pushing you and moving you to something and it doesn't make sense to you and so you're going, nah, I don't think that I've been fishing all night. I don't, I don't think so. I think this is a hard chapter for us as modern day 
Americans because we're generally people who just want to be safe and happy. A couple months ago, I uh, introduced you to, uh, at least through a, a quote, um, through a man named Gary Haugen who started uh, a Christian ministry that fights uh, sex trafficking called the International Justice Mission. Uh, he's written a, a few books. In one of his books, he has this quote that I think ought to penetrate the heart of every Christian parent, uh, really every Christian American. And here's what he says. He says, After we have poured into our children all the good food and shelter and clothes. He just nails our parenting strategy. Good food and shelter and clothing. After we have provided them with great education, discipline, structure, and love. After we have worked so hard to provide every good thing, they turn to us and ask, Why have you given all of this to me? He says, the honest answer from me is, so you'll be safe. And I think you look deep into your heart for a lot of us, that's, that's, that's what we're doing. And my kid looks up at me and says, really? That's it. You want me to be safe. Your grand ambition for my life is that nothing bad happens. And hear this, parents, because this is so insightful. He says, and I think when they understand that, something inside them dies. And they either go away to perish in safety or they go away looking for adventure in the wrong places. Jesus, on the other hand, affirms their sense of adventure and their yearning for larger glory. And see, that glory is when you trust him. When he says, hey, how about this? Come to deep water with me. We'll put down your nets. Let's go out there. Let's see what happens. That's where it is. And these, for so many of us, we miss that. We don't want to do that because deep down inside, our grand life ambition for most of us is just to make sure no bad things happen. It's just to make sure we're safe, to make sure we're happy. Maybe we get a little bit of comfort and pleasure and entertainment on the side, but most of us just want to be safe and happy. And anytime the Holy Spirit's moving in your life and he seems to rub up against your grand ambition just to make sure nothing bad happens, we don't obey. Right? The, the Spirit's moving in you and says, just think of what you could do if you went to Africa with Renovation Church. What I could do through your life. And we go, ah, that would just be, that would be difficult for my family. That's kind of out in the deep water. So we, we don't obey the calling. God's moving on you to just say something to your coworker about church or about Christ. Ah, oh, that's just too scary. Right? It rubs against our idea of just being safe, no bad things, no conflict, no. And we don't obey. Right? He wants you to give up some of your painful habits and surrender to him. And we just think, oh, that's too hard. And we just decide we're going to ignore Jesus' call to go out into deep water because we'd rather just be happy, right, and safe. But that's not the Christian life. Right? That's more like, I think I'll run my own life, 98% of it. And if I ever run into any really difficult trouble, then I'll call out to God. That's putting yourself first. That's saying, I'll obey God when it's comfortable. I'll obey it if it's good for me and my family. And I'll obey it if it makes total sense to me. But again, that's you on the throne. I don't know what they told you, but Christianity is not some self-help initiative to make you more comfortable on the throne. Christianity is the death of you. It's where you put yourself to death 
and your selfish ambition. It's the death of you and it's the rising of Christ in you. That's biblical Christianity. Christianity is, wow, God, you're calling me to this, and I'm not even sure I'm really going to like it, and it actually sounds quite uncomfortable to me, but because you say so, I will. Let me give you another example of this. Uh, Our our summer baptism is coming up just two weeks from tonight. Uh, There are a lot of you in this room that are believers in Jesus, Right? And you maybe haven't been baptized yet. Maybe you're uh, a newer believer in the last year or so. Many of you are. Uh, maybe you've just been a believer for a really long time, but you've never been baptized. Now, Scripture commands us to be baptized. I mean, even in the Great Commission, right? This is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And then what are the disciples supposed to do? Supposed to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because baptism is this public sign that... Through your faith, Jesus has washed away your sin. This is an amazing experience. Our baptism is absolutely one of my favorite nights of the year. Now, this is a really great example for our text today because the call to be baptized as an as a adult believer or a believer of age, the call to be baptized, incredibly clear in Scripture, right? It doesn't get much clearer, actually, if you're just looking for, like, what's an example of some of the things that Jesus commands us to do? But like professional fishermen... We tell Jesus how it really should be. And we say, well, Jesus, um, I know you commanded, but just for me, for me, in my particular situation, uh, it's, it's actually not a good idea for me to go out into deep water. And we give him our list of excuses, right? And we say, yeah, I know you commanded, and it's supposed to be after you believe, but actually I was baptized as a baby, and so I, I, I don't think I can. But again... Nowhere in the entire Bible, go ahead and look it up, nowhere in the entire Bible does it talk about a baptizing baby. That's a tradition of men that was invented centuries ago. When the Bible talks about baptism, it talks about after you make a profession of faith, then you're commanded to be baptized. Or we say, I I need to, but I just got some sin in my life and I'm not quite ready yet. That's not what it's about. Baptism is that you have sin in your life and Jesus forgave you. Most people were baptized within hours after they believed in the Bible. Or sometimes we even say, I could, but I know it's going to make um, some of my family members uncomfortable. I used to say this, and I was wrong. I mean, what does Jesus say in Matthew ten thirty seven? He says, anyone who loves their father, this is a hard word, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me isn't worthy of me. Again, the Christ follower just says, because you say so, I will do it. It's like, do we believe this is the word of God? Or is it just another book? Can we start living like it's the word of God? See, this idea of because you say so, it's what ought to characterize us as Christians. Let me give you another example. Um, Some of you, the Holy Spirit's just been putting on your heart over the last couple years that you need to intercede for, you need to pray for that family member in your life that doesn't know Christ. Maybe it's your sister, Maybe it's your son. Uh, maybe it's your husband. And you've been praying. Right? You've been up all night looking for a fish. You've been praying for 10 years that they would come to Christ. And it just hasn't happened. You have no fish to show for it. See, but the Christ follower says, but because you say so. Jesus, because you say, 
that I should be, this is Luke 18, that I should be persistent in prayer, that I should not give up in prayer because you say so, I won't give up. I'll keep praying. Do you have this attitude because you say so? When we were in uh, Rwanda a few weeks ago, uh, a number of our team members faced uh, difficulties. You know, beyond, you're on the other side of the world, right? You're, you're, you're missing home, you're in a different culture, you know, uh, people got sick, others faced a spiritual warfare. Uh, one of our team members, uh, Chris Clay, uh, even got kidney stones while we were in Rwanda. I mean, it's tough enough just if you're in Minnesota, right? And so yeah, he had to miss actually two and a half days of the trip because he was in the hospital uh, in Rwanda where he had his stones removed there. At the very end of the trip, uh, a number of us were just sort of reflecting on the trip. It was sort of the last night. And Chris very powerfully said to our team, he looked at our team and he said this. He said, you know, obviously this is not what I expected to happen when I was thinking about going on this trip, when I signed up for this trip. This is not what I would have planned out if I was writing out what I wanted to happen on my trip. Then he said this. He said, but we saw 3,400 people commit their lives to the Lord. And he said, if I had to go through it all over again, I would. Because it was worth it. You see, that's the because you say so lifestyle. It, that, that's a lifestyle that says, Lord, even if it's going to be really difficult, even if it's going to cost me something, because you say so, I will. I mean, this is kind of the story of Scripture, isn't it? I mean, think about all the people that you admire through the Old Testament even. Right? You look at Noah. Right? Noah builds an ark with no water in sight. The only thing in sight are the people mocking him for what he's doing. But he's able to do this because his faith lets him respond with, because you say so, I'll build it. Right? Look at Abraham. Abraham charts off on this long journey across to the desert to some place he's never seen before. Why? Because he's able to say, because you say so, and you want me to go, I'll go. Scared old Moses, at 80 years old, is able to walk into the palace and face the most powerful man on the planet at that time, Pharaoh. Why? Because his faith allows him to say, because you say so. I'll talk to him. It's the same with Joshua. It's the same with David. It's the same with Esther. They obeyed because they trusted their God. And see, that's really key. One of the things I don't want you to walk out of here today with is I don't want you to walk out thinking, because you say so is kind of this sort of, uh, because you say so, I will. Uh, because you say so. It's all in the inflection, right? And the inflection is on the you. It's because you say so, I will. Because you say so. One of the phrases I've started using in my life in the last uh, year or so is, I don't know, you're the expert, you tell me. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, noticed this about our culture, but our culture, people are so afraid of uh, getting sued, of being liable for something, that I find that when you go and talk to different experts in different fields, people are just terrified to give you their advice because they don't want to be liable for anything. And so I find, even when I go to the mechanic, I don't know anything about cars, right? I know how to drive one and that's about it. Put gas in it, I suppose. And you go to the mechanic and nowadays it's, they come out and they tell you your options and say, all right, here's what's happened. You can do this, 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 or this. What do you want to do? And I just think, 
I don't know. You're the expert. You tell me what to do. Like, I'll make the decision, but just tell me what you think is best, and then I can make the decision. Don't just tell me there are three different things I can do. I find this the same way. You, you find this when you even go to the doctor nowadays. Right? You go to the doctor, and they'll say, okay, you're ill, this has happened, and so we can proceed with this, this, or this, and you can decide what's best. It's like, okay, I will decide, but I'm not a doctor. You're the expert. What do you think I should do? And see, we submit to God's will under the same sort of circumstances. He's the expert on how we should live our lives. And you're not just turning your life over to like a new philosophy, right? You're turning it over to a person, a person who loves you, right? A person who died in your place. And so I want to surrender in obedience because you say so, because he's the one who died for me. And so what if you could live like this? What if you could just trust God to take you out into deep water? If you can trust God with obedience, right, even when it doesn't make sense, even when you don't want to, I want you to just know there's a blessing in that. You, you know, one of the ways that we're trying to do that as a renovation church right now is by planting our fourth church out of this church. And so... We planted two churches in 2012. We planted another one in 2015, and we're going to plant a fourth one uh, this year. And so next Sunday, please come back, because we're going to be revealing on stage the location. It's in the North Metro this time, which is really cool. Uh, It'll be the closest church we've ever planted to Renovation Church. Uh, We're going to reveal its location and its pastor. But I just want you to know something. Nowadays, most churches, in fact, 96% of churches don't start and plant other churches, mostly because it isn't all that glorious. Right? It doesn't build our kingdom. But our heart is not to build the kingdom of renovation. It's to build the kingdom of God. And so when we do this, no, it's not without sacrifice. We take roughly about $30,000 of our offering every single year and put it into just starting other churches that aren't our church. We start churches of whom most of their people won't even ever know that we existed. And we're going to send a number of you out to help start this new church. And so think about this loss, right? It feels like a loss. It's not because we're sending. But some of you whom we love are going to go, right? And so then our finances will go down. And our attendance will go down. These are the things that pastors avoid like the plague, by the way. But what's our vision as a church? It's to be a people being changed by God to grow the attendance of Renovation Church. That's not our vision, right? It's to be a people being changed by God to change the world. And we believe we can do that when we send people out, not just accumulate people in. We believe that if we obey God, even when it costs us, that there'll be a miraculous catch. God moves when we step forward. I I want you to notice something really important in the text. Notice that Simon Peter still has to let down his nets. Right? He had to walk out in obedience first before the miraculous catch. Don't miss that. Like, if Peter had not obeyed, there's probably not a miraculous catch. Now, I suppose Jesus could have just said, Hey, look at this! And had all the fish jump in the boat, right? 
But God doesn't normally operate like that. We often need to let down our nets first in obedience. See, when you let Jesus into your boat and you start obeying his direction, you start putting down his nets because he said so, then you start to see God move in your life. And I think too many of us as American Christians, we just sit on our couch and we say, God, move in my life. Move, Jesus. Just move. Show me your glory. Do something. Bless me. Move, God. And he's saying, I will. I will. I'm gonna. But you need to come out into deep water with me first and put your nets down. And then I'm going to move. Too many of us are missing God's movement in our lives because we are unwilling to walk in obedience first. We're just not yet willing to live this life of because you say so, I will. Today, as you just kind of walk out of here, I just want to encourage you maybe even for the first time in a long time, to just let go of all your circumstantial excuses of why you can't obey. And just let Jesus take you out into the deeper water and just let down your net. I guarantee you, if you do that, you're going to see a move. You're going to feel used like you've never felt used before. You're going to feel satisfaction like you've probably never felt before. And you're going to feel like your life is lived for his glory. And so let down your nets. Let me pray. God, I pray that we would be people of obedience, people of faith, that when you say, hey, put out into deep water, let down your nets, that we would. God, even if we're scared, even if we don't want to, may we be people that just obey and trust in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.